Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and as always, joined by our illustrious panel. Uh, today, we've got John Somsky, Rob Washam, Jim Reed, Andrew Feist, and the great Chris Jones. Thanks to our official sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, and our other podcast sponsors, Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. This is episode 180. Holy cow. Uh, and today, uh, we don't have a guest. We, we're trying to build these in once in a while where we don't have a guest because we just love talking shop between the, between the panel. So uh, we're going to do a bit of that today. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. Uh, before we get into that, just a reminder, go to rec.poker slash resources. It's your one-stop shop for all of our partnerships, all of the additional discounts you get by signing up through Rec Poker. Uh, we've got Learn Pro Poker and Solve for Why, who are now working together on some things. Elliot Rowe, Red Chip Poker, Range Trainer Pro, PokerCoaching.com, Poker Code. We've got ACR, Poker Tracker 4, Hold'em Manager, D&B Poker, and HelloFresh. Uh, those are the partnerships that we have right now. So uh, pretty much anything you need, poker-related and even food-related, uh, you can go out there, check it out. Uh, we've got some discounts for going through our site. So make sure you check that out. Specifically, one thing, uh, make sure you check out Red Chip Poker. You can get a one week free of core, which is kind of their, their core membership site um, from Red Chip Poker. If you go to Red Chip Poker slash Rec Poker, use the code Rec Poker. So with that, uh, let's come on in, guys. Uh, what do we want to talk about today, Chris? I know you've always got these amazing ideas. I don't know how you do it. Like, Let's, hey, Chris, you got a good hand. Yes, here's an amazing hand. Hey, you got a topic. Yes, here's an amazing topic. So we turn to you once again uh, to, to kind of lead us through this one today. Sure. I mean, this is this has been something, you know, we're all we're all still, you know, mostly in quarantine. There's a little bit of opening up. Some people are having giant pool parties around the country, but there's mostly uh, we're still playing online. And um, one of the things that I've been noticing in my shifting more and more online is that I feel like the online um, atmosphere world um, has a lot more sort of overactive shove stacks, especially with these longer um, rebuy tournaments where people are just sort of like trying to build stacks or, or rebuy again. Um, and so I, I've been really struggling and I wanted to have the conversation of like, when you're in this space and somebody is say willing to shove over your two big blind open, uh, you know, like a 40 big blind stack and they're willing to repeatedly do it. Um, and there's maybe not just even one person at the table, but there's multiple people at the table who are shoving these 20, 30, 40 big blind stacks repeatedly. And then sometimes they're getting called down and you're seeing that they're doing it with, you know, queen three of diamonds or something right and so i i'm i'm really struggling i think i've been overfolding in these moments but i'm also really struggling as to how to approach it um do i need to be opening less do i need to be opening bigger do i need to be uh calling wider do i need to be um hoping that somebody else sort of knocks this person out and then we can return to normal play do i you know how wide do i start calling off if i'm calling all these kind of questions are swirling in my mind and i'm wondering um how other people are either if you're noticing this is this just sort of unique to me people are picking on me or is this something that's sort of part of the online game that uh, maybe we don't see as much in the live world and then if so how do we adjust to this well i'll, I'll just ask a question first um because there's others of you that play more online but when you say they're doing it repeatedly is it like literally they're doing it every hand or is it like once in orbit or like how frequent are we talking about generally I would say, you know, the, the players that I'm thinking about are doing this at least once in orbit. It's not like every okay. hand. I mean, they're still willing to fold total garbage, but they're they're certainly like they're 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 there to gamble. They want mm -hmm. they're like, well, I'm gonna buy in. There's two levels left in this one that had like maybe 40 levels, right? I'm gonna buy in and I get in at 15 big blinds, sometimes more up to like 40 yeah. big blinds right and i'm just gonna i'm gonna get this stack i'm gonna spin it up or i'm gonna buy again i mean that seems to be what i i think the the strategy is because when they do get called down that's the, some of the hands that i'm seeing so is your i'll just ask one more question then i'll let the experts get in here but um is your reluctance to call primarily 
I mean, it sounds like what you're thinking, your, your mindset is I'm probably ahead of their range with my ace 10 or my king queen, but is your reluctance to call because you just don't know if you have enough equity advantage to make it worth the risk? Is that? Yeah. The I mean, and that's, that's yeah. sometimes it's in these situations where I've been grinding for hours and I've built mm-hmm. up a decent stack. And do I really want to blow half of it on a, a pretty marginal call where they could be whatever, but also am I just, am I just, if this keep like, I've just been noticing that like people don't really, well, they do. Like, there are players who do this, but that just three bet sort of norm- normally. Mm-hmm. But the, the, there is certainly a segment, uh, in at least on ACR, where I've been playing the majority of my online games, that um, basically sees an open as an invitation to shove. And um, in a situation where I think, you know, there are reshove stacks, but I think the thing yeah. I've been noticing is people are doing it with even bigger stacks. Um, and I don't know how to adjust to it. So I guess maybe the first question for the panel is, are you guys noticing the same thing? Either you guys that are playing more online now or that have been doing it all along. Is is this pretty common for everybody to face this, Rob? I've seen it. You know, I've see, it depends on the level or the stage of the tournament. You see it right away at the beginning. And then you see it right towards the end of the rebuy period. That's, you know, there's this gap where there's, it. it's pretty standard play. But right at the beginning, you'll see a lot of people come in and they want to try to double up or rebuy real quick. Um, and then that kind of stops for a while. Then you have some regular play, you go along, and then you get to the last two or three levels. And all of a sudden, you see this fresh stack show up. Mm-hmm. And you know he's going to be in there just just trying to double up, double up, double up. you know. And all of a sudden, a new fresh stack shows up. And he's just sitting there <laughs> trying to double up, double up. So I just play, I just play normal, you know, um, if I open, um, if I open from the original opener and I get three bet, if I have the type of hand that I can call, um, or if I have a hand that I can call a three bet with, I'll go ahead and call them off. If I don't, I'll just fold. So I don't, I don't try to guesstimate that, Hey, they're, they're really, really light here. I can call really, really light. I'm just still going to call with the same hands I would call with under normal situations. So, and you, regardless of sizing. So if they're, if they're three betting to a normal size or three betting to a massive stack, if you feel like you've got a hand that could call a, a, a normal three bet, you're going to call off one of these, these shove yeah. stacks. It yeah. depends on my stack size at the time too. Right, right. Right. But yeah, I don't, I don't try to um, call lighter just because I know a lot of them are, shoving lighter mm-hmm. john what do you think well my first reaction would be if people are shoving light like that my first adjustment would be to tighten up just a little bit so i'm not going to open as often um i'm not going to be putting marginal bets to open a pot in quite as often however when i do get called I do think I am – I don't think I'd quite do what Rob says and just call with my normal stuff. I would try to evaluate how loose the range is. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be calling with queen nine suited or anything like that. But um, I might be calling with a, an ace nine suited where normally that would be a fold. Or, you know, I might go down to ace 10 in a situation where normally I'd only be calling with ace queen or ace jack. Um, so I I would try to see if I'm ahead of their range. And unfortunately, you just have to kind of grab. It's like riding a roller coaster. You just got to hold on and pray, <laughs> you know, and there's not much you can do. It's the ride you're given. Um, but that's the way if you do that consistently over time you should be one of those people building a big stack and then if people are still shoving like that you should be able to withstand a loss or two occasionally in your tournaments and you know it it only takes one or two wins to overcome quite a few losses in those size of fields yeah for sure for sure so john when you're thinking about that john do you do you kind of have like ranges already in your head, just kind of default ranges? Like if I open and somebody shoves 30 big blinds, 
I'm typically going to call off with whatever it is, say, say tens or higher and ace queen or higher, whatever, whatever your default range might be. Do you have that? And then is a logical process of saying, okay, he's wider. So I'm going to expand this to sixes and better and king, queen and ace 10 or better. I mean, is it, is it logical like that? Or how do you, how do you say when I'm going to widen my range a little bit, what does that actually look like practically? Um, I think that is what I would like it to be, what you said. <laughs> uh, whether too. or not it is that or whether it's just like, eh, it kind of feels like a call right here. I don't know yeah. for sure. But I, I mean, I do kind of have ranges that I think I'm going to call with. I'm, I go a lot by just the flow and how I, I perceive people are playing, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad because sometimes I can be way off. Um, but that's what I would do and then just try to keep going with what's happening. I mean, the same thing happens in you know our home games when you find someone who is aggressive. You have to – you can't let that aggression work for them. So the only way I've found to do that is to tighten up a little bit so that I have more often I have things worth defending with Mm -hmm. and then just trying to defend a little bit wider, still plenty ahead of their range. So I'm still getting my money in good on average, but I'm not giving them as much room to do all of the stealing. What does anyone think of, um, in this situation, let's say we've got a couple of people at this table who, who we've noticed have just joined and have uh, maybe shoved three hands in the past ten or something like they're they're really active. Um, what do you think of open limping? In in this kind of right before a rebuy, not like as a permanent strategy, but in like those couple levels for the rebuy period, we've got these people who are um, who are kind of going to maniacally jam. And if they maniacally jam, we've lost less um, with a limp. And if they maybe they just maybe they aren't as threatened by a limp and maybe they call along. Maybe is that a possible adjustment or am I just shooting myself in the foot with that idea? I think you should not yourself a usual foot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, you know, maybe if you want to try to trap them by limping aces or Kings or something like that, but for the most part, just play your normal game, just play your normal game. Cause they're not going to, they're not going to jam every single time. <laughs> and, and you know, when you go around the table, how many times do you have the opportunity to open, you know, how many hands are you actually getting that you can open? And if you're only getting one or two a, a, a round, right? Right. You're only you're gonna limp those times that you have an opportunity to open the pot with a hand that's worth opening for a raise, so that you could be the aggressor. On the off chance that this is the one time that that guy is gonna jam over you, no, I don't. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think you just play your normal game, and then you deal with that jam if it happens. At least that's what I've been doing. Now it's not like I'm, I'm binking every single tournament I'm in either. But you know, but I think you still need to play your your regular game, and you just have to evaluate um, if you're strong enough to call off what could be a very light shove. Yeah, I don't disagree with that too. But it's it's in some parts of the tournament, I guess, depending on where you are, it might not be a bad idea just to develop a limping range. But it completely depends on what kind of hand you have. You know, if you have the five sixes or sixes or less kind of thing in a late position where you know he's going to jam if he's on the big blind, maybe you can try and jam and see a cheaper flop. Because then if you if you don't show aggression, maybe they won't show aggression. But I mean, I had a I, this last week, actually, the tournament that I played in, I had a guy that was doing this. Same thing, 30, 40, 50, 60, even 70 big blinds real early. He was just jamming anything. But it turned out it wasn't anything I found out. I saw three separate instances, and actually I was final table heads up with this guy, where he was three-bet jamming any pair. And I, hmm. when, I, when he did it the second time, I actually went back in my hand history and looked to make sure it was the same guy. And he did it with twos. He did it with threes and he did it with aces. So that right there tells me he'll do it with any pair because that's a pretty broad spectrum of where he's going to go. Now, that's not everybody, but 
and actually that's how I won the tournament out because I folded a uh, pocket fours heads up. I opened, he jammed. I'm like, oh, what could this be? <laughs> and then I ended up binking that one. That was my small bink of the week, self break. Sorry. Uh, but so, I mean, developing a limping strategy, I feel like could sometimes be beneficial because if you don't show aggression and he can see a cheap flop, he might not or whoever he, she might not fire back and you might be able to see it, but it completely depends on the hand. And, you know, and like we've been learning with like tournament structures and the anatomy of tournaments, where are you willing to accept more variance? Mm-hmm. You know, cause there's certain spots in tournaments, like we've talked about that it's not worth it, you know, but if you're in those middling stages, you know, where you're getting close to the bubble or, or not close to the bubble, but you know, a hundred people or 50 people or an hour away from the bubble it might be worth it to try and double up a stack. So it just kind of depends on the spots. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think like some of the other variables that I'd want to be considering here are the relative position at the table. Um, Like when they're shoving a lot, are they doing it when they're in late position? And am I in early position relative to them? Because that would make me more inclined to employ an exploitative limping strategy just for the spot where I can limp from early position with basically the same opening range that I would use strictly to combat this aggression um but if they're going to be you know if they're on if the if the i don't want to be open limping from late position because i think rob makes a good point that you're just giving up too much fold equity as part of your overall strategy so i'd factor that in and the only other thing i think about when it really is a question of how light do you call down um because i think chris you're right that you should probably be trimming away some of those opening hands that you're you know you're not going to be able to call with anyway so just like save yourself especially in early position just cut them out or middle position and then um the only other thing that i would say is is if he's showing down like queen three suited that's different than if he's showing down like seven five suited um mm-hmm. neither one is good hands but i'm going to be more comfortable calling down against a player that shows over a 40 big blind three bet shove with a seven five suited um because you're just even your two big card hands are going to be way ahead of that range relatively so and and really if he's doing that a lot that's a real opportunity like you should be loving life when you get to the table and guys are shoving you know five seven or <laughs> you know queen, queen three um but yeah stacks stacks and position i think would be a big part of it sort of but then what i mean so then okay we see because i have seen people do that i've seen people do it with seven five suited five six suited and then like they they call and get there or whatever but but you know so you're sitting there with your ace deuce of diamonds here in this kind of spot those are the hands where like i'm 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 a i'm a big believer in sort of opening and having some aggression with some wheel aces especially suited wheel aces so this is a spot where i'm finding myself in a lot where i can be with a 40 big blind stack in the middle or 30 big blind stack that can be easily dominated by somebody who's playing pretty standard but it's also a hand where i can also you know if i think that somebody's being really light um it's it's a really good hand to potentially call down with um and these are the spots i'm finding myself finding myself in a lot um and i guess i it's really hard for me to pull the trigger on a 30 plus big blind call with like ace deuce of spades but i'm wondering if it's the right move yeah i mean it'd be interesting to kind of run the hand analysis on that the problem is if he's shoving any ace and he's shoving any pair you're in trouble. I mean, yeah, you're ahead of the queen threes, the king sevens. I mean, so there's probably, you know, you probably have a decent amount of equity, but that's the question is, you know, what's, what's the upside? Does he have you covered? What's the upside versus the downside? You know, you doubling up versus you going broke. What's the ICM implications at the stage of the tournament? Kind of to Andrew's point, depending on where you're at, if it's early, to me, it's just not worth, it's just not worth the risk. And like, even if I'm going to win that 55% of the time, and I'm going to lose it 45% of the time, I don't know that that's worth it. I don't know that twice as many chips half the time is 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 valuable enough to offset having zero chips half the time. Like, I just don't know if in that situation that that's the case. I kind of wanted to, I'll, sorry, I'm going to derail. I'm going to go back to kind of the, the limping thing. The one point I would make about open limping, and I've, I've been known to do it on occasion against the right players, but um, the reason I, I don't like the open limp with a, with a fairly marginal hand that you're willing to call off on, like say you have, 
say of Ace Jack or something like that, where you're saying, okay, if he shoves over the top, I'm going to call him off this time. If you limp there and then he shoves, you're opening up the door for somebody to like reshove, isolate. And then that puts you in a really awkward spot versus if you open, you know, people, and, and then somebody reshoves, isolates, you got to give them credit for a pretty big hand there. So I think, you know, because somebody might be saying they're they're watching him too, going, I want to attack this guy. So they're sitting there with their, their ace nine suited and you you limp and they might think you're trapping, but generally that's a fairly weak move. Then the guy shoves his 30 bigs. Now the guy with 50 bigs says, oh, my ace nine, I'm going to isolate this guy and I rip it in and now you're folding the best hand versus if you open early position, I think at least that dissuades a little bit of that reshove activity that could happen behind. So mm-hmm. uh, going back to your ace two of spades, but that was the one thought I had when you were talking about uh, the omen limp. Yeah. What happens when like the other thing that comes up too is maybe you've even got a marginally better hand than ace deuce of spades, but you've got a few of these people at the table and one of them sees one of the other ones shove and they're like, Oh great. I'm shoving, you know, like, and they really can have anything and they're willing to just gamble it up and hope to triple up or quadruple up or whatever with their six, eight of whatever. And again, like, I mean, what do, what are we doing with sevens when we have multiple sh- sh- shoves in front of us? Well, you know, your odds are are going down as the more people that are in the pot, right? Right. So you're going to have to have even a stronger hand to call down if there's two people that have already jammed. So again, I just, I would play your normal game, hmm. play your normal opens for your normal raises, whether it's two and a half, three big blinds, whatever that is. And then the hands that you would normally call uh, a three bet, look to see if the odds are there, right? Are you getting that three to one? If you're getting that three to one or two to one, I should say, if you're getting that two to one, you should be calling no matter what, right? Right. Um, but then look at just, just like I say, just play your normal, your normal game and you're going to come out ahead because this guy is going to keep doing it. It's going to work every time until the last time, and he's going to be gone. He's going to buy again. He's going to do it for a while, and then after a while, he's going to say, okay, I've, I've pissed away enough money. I'm not doing it anymore, and then uh, he's gone. And in the meantime, you've made some money off of him, or you've just played smart. That's it. It's e- easy game. All right. All right. Well, Sounds I, good. Yeah, I would, I would say the one one question I would have for you, and, just be, and I asked the question because it's something that I struggled with, early on, I think I struggled with, um, was this idea of sort of getting up. It's a form of tilt. It was a form of tilt for me where you'd see somebody doing this. Like, you know, you feel like somebody's got to stop this guy. Like, yeah. we can't let this go on. And and I think I would take on this feeling like it's got to, you know, somebody's got to stop him. I've got, I've got King nine. I'm going to stop him. You know what I mean? Like, and then I would make suboptimal plays because of that sort of, I've got to police the whole table when why do I care if he's stealing somebody else's opens? You know what I mean? Like, like, right. you know, if, if people are raising and then he's shoving, they're not learning and he keeps shoving over the top. It's not really my responsibility to stop them. I just need to look for opportunities to do that. So the, I'm just kind of wondering from your perspective, if you're feeling like, what do I do here? Because is this a nice, logical, positive EV, positive ICM play that I'm missing out on? Or is there an element of I'm frustrated by this and maybe, you know, that might be There's- skewing your decision? For me, there's certainly an element of frustration, but it's not necessarily like I want to be the table police or the table captain sort of, and it still could be a form of tilt, but it's not that kind of tilt. It's like, I am sick of continuing to fold, you know, you only get so many pretty decent hands and I'm being the disciplined player who's folding my ace 10 offsuit in my pocket sevens to this continual mm-hmm. maniac. And I'm feeling like at some point this is that I am being taken advantage of my willingness to fold mm-hmm. these hands and that I need to take a stand. And that could be a form of tilt. You could be very right in saying that, but at some point it's just like, I feel like, maybe I need to be more willing to go bust in this close to rebuy periods when the field seems to get a lot looser. And maybe that's, um, it's not necessarily like I'm, I'm like going to teach them a lesson or whatever, but it's like, I am getting frustrated about continuing to fold hands that I feel like maybe are playable. And maybe that it's, it almost feels like a mistake on my part. 
I, I think you just kind of have to embrace the variance. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that you're trying to teach them a lesson, but it is that in the way the opportunities that are coming to you are high variance opportunities. They're still plus EV. So you just got to, you know, push and pray and it's going to work out. It should over a lifetime work out often enough that you come out ahead if it's truly a plus EV play. It's frustrating because a lot of the time it's not going to work out and you're going to end up busting, especially if you've got to dodge several of these landmines mm -hmm. uh, because it's not like it's just one player doing it. Yeah, you're, 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 being, you're being presented with a series of opportunities to invest in spots against wide ranges. So it's a, you know, it's a high variable, it's a high variance spot, but it's a, it's a profitable spot uh, in the long run, but you're going to lose a lot of tournaments <laughs> right, well, right there. Yeah. And that's the difference between, you know, cash game and tournament poker, right? Like if it's a cash game, I would say, yeah, hundred percent, you know, if, if you think you've got 51%, you should be getting it in. And if it doesn't work out, you re, you rebuild, but we all know the, you know, the, the value curve, the ICM utility curve of, you know, chips gained are not as valuable as chips lost. And so the question is, you know, if you have 50% equity or whatever, you know, in, in a hand, in a 40 big blind shove, you know, even even 51%, should you be getting it in there or not? I don't know from a actual tournament value perspective that that's even the right positive long-term play. So where is it? Is it 55%? Is it 60%? You know, what's the, what's the piece that you need? And then the other thing, as we think again about what Andrew brought up about the solve for why kind of tournament stages piece is this idea of future skill edge. Now this is sort of a form of future skill edge is like, do I think this is going to continue? Obviously it sucks when that person runs into somebody else's Kings. You're like, God, I, I knew somebody to get those chips, you know, but, but you know, could there potentially be a better shot? Like, so do you have to take that spot or is there in this tournament setting a realistic expectation that you'll be able to find a better spot before those chips are gone. So I think that's one of my considerations. Now I do, I will say that I do tend to be on the low variant side early in tournaments, lower than most. Uh, but that's sort of how I rationalize that piece of just saying, okay, yep, I, I'm going to keep opening my hands. I'm going to tighten somewhat, like John said. I'm going to tighten somewhat so it's not as frustrating. I might not open pocket fives because then I can't be frustrated. Oh, sorry, Chris would open pocket fives, of course, five by five. But, you know, I mean, like, handed but, poker. <laughs> but, 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 um, you know, I might tighten it up because then I'm not as frustrated. I'm more frustrated because I'm folding more, but it's less, that's less frustrating than opening and then folding to a jam. And then, you know, just trust that when, when the time is there, you're going to be able to take advantage of it when you pick up jacks or whatever. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I, I think that's where I would move just toward tightening up pre-flop. Um, you're still going to have to fold some to shoves, but I think there's a lot better chance you'll be able to call off. It's frustrating. You know, I smile when I fold to a three bet. Because if I, I made a play... I smile when you fold to a three bet too, Rob. I'm just saying. When I make a play and if I'm opening... Yeah. And somebody three bets me. I already know when I open, right, I already right. know if I'm getting three bet, if I'm going to fold or not. So I just smile and fold. Love and it's, it. it's, it's done. The decision was made when I opened. Yeah. It's no longer an emotional decision. Right. Right. So yeah. I don't, it doesn't, it's not like, Oh geez, he's picking on me. I'm going to get him back. <laughs> you, know, you can't do that. <laughs> well, and that's the best advice you can give a lot of people is Love don't that. get sticky with hands. Just, be willing to put chips in and fold because that's the right play in that spot. So exactly. So Chris, do you find yourself in those spots like saying, ah, this is so frustrating, but I've got, I've got sevens in middle position. I'm going to open, but if he shoves, I'm just going to fold again. Or is it still just as, you know, visceral of a response when, when you get shoved on? Uh, I mean, like I'll, I'll be honest, <laughs> this, this this weekend I found myself in uh, in that situation, and uh, I was I took a stand, and I'll <laughs> tell you I had a massive stack, and I took a stand against these people who were doing this, um, against an open, and then a, like I opened, and then it was a shove and an over shove, and I had pocket sevens, and I called, and they both had undercards to my seven. <laughs> And of course they got there, right? Which was so tilting. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'm learning my lesson as much. But I so normally so I fold. Fresh. Yeah, this is fresh. Normally I fold. <laughs> but I did sort of like have a moment where 
I called it off <laughs> this weekend. Those moments are the best. Those moments are the best when you have the best hand. My wife walks into the room. I have Ace King. The guy has Ace Deuce. Flop comes Deuce Deuce. Yeah, right, right. And she goes, well, why can't you win those? You're not very good at winning races. Thanks, hon. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're agonizing over this call, and you call, and then you yeah. see that they've got three, four, and five, six, and you're like, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, let's go. That's, let's that's go. just the extra, you know, just the extra grind in the, the wound there. And she's like, oh, why can't you win that? Well, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so do you feel like is it when it's, I mean, I guess stages of tournaments. And are you seeing this experience like kind of what you guys are saying? Like it happened, like Rob was saying early, then it sort of happens again near the bubble or near their buy-in time or whatever. Like, are you yeah, seeing this, seeing, this behavior continuing like no. up and through the bubble or is it just no, through like end of no, registration? No. It's okay. really like the, for me, I, I even noticed it less right at the beginning. It's um, although it, it, it is there, but I think it's, it's a real factor in those maybe two or three levels before the rebuy ends. That's when I see it happening the most. Um, Cause you see people, these, these tournaments are so long. Right. And I think that there is a, a segment of the population that just sort of like feels like I'm not going to waste my time playing for four hours and then, you know, grinding my way and then getting, so I'm just going to pop in at the last minute and try just try to gamble it up and get into the to the real part of the tournament i think is is a potential strategy that's out there um, i think that's that's a that's a legitimate strategy like that right. so if you can get into a tournament that with 25 or 30 big blinds and you know like like it's a less it's, it's sort of like a less elegant game because a lot of it comes down to just shoving stacks and calling stacks and folding um, like there's not there's not as much to it at that point but it's not like, uh, I'm not sure it's a bad EV. I'm not sure it's a minus EV play if people know how to use a small stack. Like, uh, as you as we're talking about today, it can present k- kind of a troubling issue for people that have they've been patiently playing actual poker for hours. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, if you can get in there and double up, now you've got 50 big blinds. You know, you really could have been in that tournament the whole time, so... Um, I don't, don't think that, and I know you're not saying this, Chris, but other people that you encounter, if you encounter this in the game, um, some of it might be people just new to online and just getting shovey, um, with big stacks when it's not the right time to do it. But some of them are making good shoves with, you know, 20 mm-hmm. big blind stacks. And there's kind of an art to that as well. Uh, but the answer is still to call down with the right hands and then, you know, good luck if you solve that. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a huge positive EV play for those folks coming in late when they're getting called by donkeys who are like calling them with overpairs. Like, who does that? Like, <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to come in and shove with five, six and somebody with sevens calls me, like, I'm yeah, going right? to do that all day. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Appreciate it. Don't play that trash. <laughs> you should. It could be that there are some people that just don't like to play post flop too, because I've actually run into yeah. a few spots where they, you know, it's it's kind of marginal in that area where it's like ah, that's that's a hand that could shove, I suppose, here, but might you just be good as a three bet or a flat, a normal three bet, I guess. But there are a lot of spots where I've seen. There's I had I played with a guy that had a uh, three bet um, percentage of like. 35 percent which is pretty high <laughs> and then he would just barrel or you know completely shove on the flop he just didn't want to play post flop so there are there are people that you know are newer to poker and that kind of thing and that's that's the way they can win some chips too because if whoever you're in the pot with completely whiffs on the flop they're more than likely folding yep 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 makes sense yeah, yeah Any, anything started. Poker's hard. I, it's an interesting question for sure because I don't play a lot online. I just started a little bit with with everything going on now, and that was one of the things I'm like, I don't know if I even like this because of because of that sort of thing. It's just such a different dynamic when guys are just ripping seventy bigs. You're like, well, what do I do here with with tens? I mean, in any other situation, if I know the player at all, it's just a fold or it's a snap call depending on the player. Now I don't know this person. I, you know, I don't have all these stats on people or whatever. Like I have no idea what to do with tens and it's sort of like, it's disturbing. Cause then, you know, they're going to do it again in another three or four hands. Okay. Now what do I do with, with King Jack suited? I don't know. <laughs> Help phone a friend. Yeah, but this and the other, I'm oh, sorry. No different than when you first started playing poker, when you didn't know anything either. Right. <laughs> So you're, you're saying I'm learn. where I was when I first started. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is you start to learn 
the different strategies that you need to employ to beat the game that you're playing, whatever that is. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's new and different because if you always play uh, live, people aren't doing that live very often. I mean, you might see it close to the bubble of a rebuy, right? The rebuy period is about to end. So people shove their short stack in just to see if they can get rid of it and, and buy in again. But in these, it's a little bit different dynamic. They're coming in at the end and they're willing to throw four or five bullets, you know, because they always come in with that fresh stack. Boom. Try to see if they can double up. (laughs) That's just a strategy that you have to Mm -hmm. now deal with, which is different than you dealt with in a live game. I think that's a good way to put it. It's like learning a new variant of Texas Hold'em. Right. Yeah. John, did you have something? Well, I was just going to say, I I think that was a really good point that Rob made in, in that whenever we put ourselves in an uncomfortable position, that usually means it's a place where we have a lot to learn. And if you're really, most people get good at playing the games they play in. But when they go outside of that realm, you know, and that can be as simple as going to a different online poker site because one player pool might play very differently than another player pool on a different site. And if you move to a different place, you're not going to learn how to, you're not going to know your, the same techniques don't work. So that's where, I mean, where we're all trying to get to is understand what mistakes people are playing and understand how to react to them so that no matter what the game we're thrown into, we can make the proper adjustments. That's a lot easier said than done. But I think that's kind of the gist of what Rob was saying there. That's a perfect example, too, because every, yeah. most of us are live players and now we're being thrust into the online world. So we're seeing a lot of these tactics that they were not used to. I feel point, like it's John. what I'm going to feel like playing something called Badoogie in June. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is, that's, that's how I feel like playing against what Chris is describing online big shoves. Yeah, I mean, Badoogie's a, a lot easier. Okay, it's a great analogy, John, too, because I I do feel like that's exactly what's going on. You know, it's it's a um, a spot that I'm continually, you know, noticing in these few weeks that I've been playing. I mean, I'm not an online expert, but it's certainly a spot that I have felt the most uncomfortable online compared to the live game. Um, is approaching that rebuy period. I kind of see that that. You know, you know, they have the little thing that says levels left, and it's like once it gets down to three or two, I could, I just noticed my yep. stomach start to nod <laughs> up a little. Here we go, like, oh boy, here we go. Buckle Hang up. on. People keep cop- popping in with starting stacks. Yep. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> but those are opportunities, right? I mean, kind of to the point that you're making too. I mean, that's you. You don't want to just let those opportunities go by if they are, you know, positive opportunities because somebody's going to capitalize, whether it's the shover or the caller. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Maybe we can wrap it up there. I know we could probably talk for hours and hours, but Chris, thanks for bringing that up, man. That was a good, good example. I think it's a, I love how John kind of closed it off there with thinking about this is like a new variant of, of something that is kind of what it feels like. Uh, if it feels uncomfortable, it's, it's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean maybe to Rob's point, doesn't necessarily mean that they're playing bad. And maybe to Jim's point, they're not necessarily playing suboptimally. It's just that we have to now adjust to this is different. You know, we're not playing chess now. We're playing or checkers and chess, whatever the analogy is. So, all right, cool. Well, thanks, Chris, for bringing that up. Let's, uh, why don't we close out that discussion? Let's do a little round robin, guys. Let's see what else is going on here in the rec poker hood. I know one of the folks I really wanted to talk to tonight, I know he couldn't make it, was Taylor. Uh, last last time we talked on the podcast, Taylor revealed to us his, his excitement of advancing through the Learn Pro Poker uh, I don't know how many thousands of people it was, but they're down to eight right now. And there are eight people playing for a $10,000 staking package. Uh, and so Taylor's going to be playing on May 30th. I believe that date is locked in now. I think originally it was going to be the 23rd. Now it's the 30th. He's got, it's going to be streamed on, uh, on Twitch. And so we're going to put all the details out there for everybody. But one of the things that we've been talking about and Chris brought up was, what do we, maybe we do a little live Zoom virtual rail for Taylor. So we're going to set that up. We don't know the details yet. Uh, We think it's a noon start, but we're not sure when that is yet either. Uh, But I think what we'll do is we'll probably set up a Zoom where maybe we jump on for a couple hours, whoever wants, just as the thing's getting started. Uh, You watch Twitch on your own, and then we'll just be on Zoom kind of hanging out and chatting. We can have breakout rooms if there's like 
one room that wants to talk strategy, the other one just kind of wants to hang out, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out as we go. Uh, and then maybe we'll take a break and come back and, and join, you know, later on in the day if Taylor's still going. So watch for details on that deal. But, man, it's, it's pretty exciting. I know Taylor's fired up. I know some of you guys have been uh, in conversations with him as he's been doing study sessions uh, on that deal. So that's pretty cool to see him prepare for that. Andrew, did you have something there? I did just find out, uh, so I'm looking in the, the Discord ah. for uh, Learn Pro Poker. It is going to be May 30th, and it's 10 a.m. PST, so it's going to be noon Central. Noon our time. Then. Yep. yep, so it is noon for sure. Well, let's, It let's will be streamed on... for Learn Pro Poker, I believe, on their Twitch channel. All right, sweet. Thank you, Andrew, for checking mm-hmm. that. So let, let's plan on that. I think it's as a default plan, let's do like a noon to two uh, virtual rail. We'll put the link out uh, on our website, rec.poker. Uh, we'll put it out on, on Facebook, Twitter, all kinds of places. We'll just, it's open to anybody. So you guys, whoever wants can just jump on there. We'll do like a noon to two thing and then we'll come back. We'll figure out maybe like six o'clock or something. We'll come back if Taylor's still going. And he's already said when he's done, uh, he'll jump into the Zoom meeting and talk about any hands or anything else. Whether he wins or loses, uh, he'll come on there. And if we have any spots, we can kind of make a note of uh, when they were and he can go back in his hand history and look at those and that sort of thing. So it should, it should be a pretty fun day. So uh, take advantage of that. Uh, another opportunity to build community while we root on uh, one of our own. Uh, with that, let's turn it over to John. What do you got cooking? Well, first thing I have to unmute, of course. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, we've got our home game, of course, where June 3rd is going to be the No Limit Hold'em game. June 10th is going to be Mixed Badoogie, and there is a training video available now. If you go to the um, our rec.poker slash home game site, you'll be able to see a training video. It's really pretty easy, so don't worry about it. It's a fun game. Then our first Hey, our hey John. Sorry, yeah. I know you. Hate, I, I always interrupt you, but we did have, remember, we had, we had a comment on Twitter. Somebody asked a question. It was like, one acronym or another acronym, and you said triple draw. Do you want to just right. if so, there's versions? Do you want to clarify? Yeah, um, Badoogie. I've never actually heard of being played single draw, but like Deuce to Seven, uh, you can play two different variants. You either play no limit single draw, or you play uh, triple draw that's limit. Badoogie has played limit. It's played triple draw. I've also played a half pot limit game, but I've never actually played a full no limit game of Badoogie. But anyway, okay. what we're going to be playing is <laughs> Triple Draw, and that's will be on June 10th. And, of course, our uh, social distancing series is going to continue in June. So it's not going to end at the end of May. We'll keep on having games every night in June. And then for May here, we have uh, May 18th, Spot Conlon, Daniel Kennedy won. On May 19th, Illy Chippies, Jill Burke won. On May 20th, Jasper Jr., Patrick Berry won. On May 21st, M. Babker, Michael Babker won. On May 22nd, Oreo Milk 4444, Owen Drabeck won. On May 23rd, Eric Molina, Rob Brereton won. And on May 24th, Schneid's 55, Danny Schneider won. Nice. And, and, and last night until we were playing and there was like four of us, we made a pact of short stacks. Me and Danny and like two other folks, we were like short stacks, short stacks. We were doing the whole chant thing or whatever. And then Danny and I started shipping up and then I ran a big hand into a big hand, whatever. But Danny went on to win it. So we were, we were rooting for the shorties and, and he got theirs. I think that's like his third or fourth win. Like he's having a nice run at this deal too. So, all right, John. Yeah, I know it's so. definitely oh, more ahead. than his first. Yeah, I know no. I recognize the name. Yep. Good player, great yep. dude. He's always out there chatting and building community with everybody too, so I just love it. He knows how to use that short stack like we were talking about. Get in there. Start making some aggressive three bets. Danny, way to go. He also has a really fun uh, avatar icon on his Poker Stars thing. That's a good one. <laughs> nice. Chris, how about you? Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're going to be wrapping up May pretty shortly. Uh, this Wednesday, May 27th at 8 p.m., we're going to have our Strat Chat, uh, our monthly member um, conversation about the topic. Um, I'm going to be bringing some, you know, we can a- answer questions, do some Q&A, but I'm going to be bringing some hands from the kind of somewhat famous World Series of Poker final table uh, from 2010, which has a lot of interesting ICM implications. It's a lot of what we were talking about from May. So uh, if we don't have any 
big questions or other topics that members want to talk about, we'll be talking through some of those hands. So that should be pretty interesting. And then we're gearing up for June, which will be all about three betting. And uh, July will be all about bluffing. So we've got a couple of great uh, uh, topics coming up in the next few months too. So it's sort of the month of John Somsky, three betting and bluffing. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> awesome, Chris. Thanks so much. You're really looking forward to it a lot. Andrew, how about you? Uh, yeah, Wednesday uh, before the Strat Chat uh, at 6.30 p.m. Central, so Wednesday, May 27th. Uh, we're going to be doing Learning with Partners again. Uh, so this week's content is going to be Learn Pro Poker and PokerCoaching.com. So we're going to be showing some premium content from those two uh, content providers for us. Uh, if you didn't catch the last one, uh, we did uh, a Solve for Y and Red Chip. Uh, that was earlier in this month, but that is up on the membership website now. Uh, but if you would like, go ahead and check out rec.poker slash resources. Uh, Solve for Y is now $9.99 a month. What? Yeah. That's, that's cool. insane. It's insane value. So myself. Yes. They, they, they put some really high-level stuff out there. It's unbelievable yes, it is, what they put it out. It is some amazing stuff out there. Yeah. So go ahead and check that out. That's uh, rec.poker slash resources. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for all your work on that, for sure. Uh, Rob? Yeah, we've got uh, the book study coming up. Um, yes. Uh, two or three weeks, I guess. Um, we're going to do the game plan by Matt Matros. Awesome book. I finished it a couple of days ago. Well, that didn't um, take you very long, Rob. Good Lord. You do no, like to I, read. <laughs> well, I, I read through it. I still have to go back and redo it again because there's so much there. Um, it's so it's a very cool book because of the way it's structured. It's structured as a step-by-step. -step, this is how you approach a tournament. And it takes you from the beginning right to the end, right? And it tells you step-by-step -step what you should do. And he, and he breaks it down by using rules, right? So there's rule one, rule two. And I think it, go, it goes to like rule 35 or something like that. So by the time, you know, you can't memorize all those rules the first read through. So I'm going to have to go back through again. And, but I'm looking forward to going through that with the, with the group. I think, uh, there's, I think there's so much content for uh, some of the newer players that it can give a, a structure as to how you can approach a tournament and actually be somewhat successful. I was using it. Yesterday, while I was playing online, I was using a lot of those rules just verbatim playing those rules, which is a little bit different than my normal strategy. And I found it was working a little better than my normal strategy. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I think it's it's. I think people are going to enjoy it. That's and awesome. June seventeenth, yeah, by the way. June seventeenth is a kickoff. June seventeenth. Yep. Yeah, and if you can, if you guys want to join, if you're if you're a member at Rec Poker, you can you can join us. The links are all going to be out in a membership area. If you're not, go become a member, get the free trial, jump in there uh, and take advantage of this deal. And if you want a copy of the book, you can just get it at Amazon. Or uh, you, if you if you send us 15 bucks, uh, we'll send you a PDF from Matt Matro. So it saves a few bucks uh, that way if you want to do that. So get in touch with Rob or myself if you have any questions on that. But uh, yeah, Rob, thanks for doing that, man. I'm excited to, to learn from that book. And we've had Matt on the show, fantastic guest. And it sounds like we'll be able to get him involved doing a Q&A at the end of it too. So uh, it's more than just awesome. reading the book on your own and kind of doing that. It's, you know, it's learning it in the context of community, discussing it, and then, you know, bringing whatever questions you have at the end to the expert himself. And so great opportunity. Jim, you got anything for us? Oh, I mean, I'm just really looking forward to getting into that book club with Rob. I love the level of uh, detail he's going into, uh, and I, this, I'm excited for that project. Other than that, the only thing I have to offer is uh, don't do a month of John Somsky without involving a lot of forebetting, and that's the final word I have to say on that. <laughs> Sounds like there's a personal uh, a personal thing there. Maybe. He, know, he, knows what I'm he knows what he did in the home game the other night. He knows. I'm a really nice guy. I don't understand. I often give my chips away to everyone else at the table. Okay. Yeah. Let's, Hey, here we are. We're about a half hour into the end of the tournament. Let's go look at, see who the chip leaders are. Oh, look, poker geek MN is in the top three. Oh, I'm so shocked. Unbelievable. <laughs> Good night. All right. Yeah, well, but I, uh, I redistribute those chips quite often. You do on occasion. I don't really see my fair <laughs> share, I don't think. 
Oh my gosh, it's fun. Oh, I love playing that home game. It's so much fun. Uh, well, one thing I want to I want to bring up just last time last time we talked about this uh, the plane hang. We did that for the first time last week, and oh my god, it was so much fun. So uh, we were able to have a few of the folks that have played with us in the home game before. Uh, so Kian Tavakoli, he actually won it. Keto man, uh, well done. Even though I, I had to look back, like who won that thing? We were so busy talking to moneymaker, and I was in the—I I had chips, like three left, and all of a sudden I didn't have chips. And I'm like, what happened? I don't really know. Hey, Chris, you know, we're we're just kind of hanging out. So we're just hanging out, talking, and then Kean actually went on and won the tournament. But Chad McVean, J.B. Bird, Mark Wittig, Colin Anderson, Mike Patrick, Kelly Stork, and I had the honor of of just playing the game. But then we were hanging out and. Uh, Maria Ho comes on, chats with us for a while. Lexi Gavin comes on. Chris Moneymaker comes on, and we just had a we just had a hoot. I mean, it was it was something. So Moneymaker is like in his bed, hiding from his family and his dogs. <laughs> like, and uh, I forget who it was one of them. I think it was Kelly Sorg's. Like, are you in your bed? <laughs> it was so funny. And then he's like, yeah, yeah. He was just kind of hanging out, just a regular dude. And then he's like trying to figure out how he can change his background. Eventually, he got a change. So like, it was the universe, like stars or whatever. So we didn't have to. Talk to Chris Moneymaker while he's hanging out in his bed. So. <laughs> but he's just a regular dude, you know, and it was really fun to talk with him. And we're trying to get him on the podcast for a full interview, but I uh, had a good time with him. So what we're going to do is we're going to keep doing these at least every month. But I just had a blast uh, doing it. I think uh, what we'll do for June is I think we're just going to do a random drawing for the folks that have played in the Poker Stars home game. Uh, just because there's a there's a barrier to entry, I don't want to have to walk everybody through how to get signed up in Poker Stars and all that sort of thing. So it's another incentive for you to play the home game. If you've played, if we have your information, we'll just do a random drawing there uh, among folks, and we'll invite another seven people in to play in June. And then I think after that, we'll decide how we do it, whether it's through that or through the membership or whatever. But uh, that's the plan for June. So play in the home game. Uh, you'll be automatically entered. I will, we'll avoid uh, redundancy. So the folks that played in May, we're not going to have them play in June. We'll probably be a once a year uh, sort of opportunity because it was, it was that cool. And so we'll start lining up more pros, but uh, I don't remember whoever had that idea, but it was super fun to do. Uh, I just really enjoyed it. So uh, I feel like I'm pretty lucky. I think we should rotate that through with, with this panel, the folks that get to play with the, uh, with the, those guys, because I feel like I'd be spoiled if I'm always the one that gets to talk to those guys. So uh, we'll, we'll involve you guys too, but good time. So anything else for the good of the order guys, anything else that we missed, anything else we need to make sure rec poker nation uh, knows about. Give me a thumbs up. If you are good to go, good to go. Good to go. All right, John. Hey, I saw your thumb. Very nice. Well done. Well, we will sign out there. Uh, thanks. Again, to the panel, Andrew Feist, Chris Jones, Jim Reed, John Sonsky, and the great Rob Washam with the Bourbon Time shirt uh, going ham. Uh, but thanks for jumping in here, guys. And uh, thanks for running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, website amp, Learn Pro Poker. We'll chat with you next week, guys. Take care.